I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to Anthony Wilson. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Now, you're a climate scientist, right? What kind of work is a, does a climate scientist do, or how would you describe climate science? Yeah, so climate science is really interesting. Um, I would define it really in two different areas. Um, so there are observationalists, um, but then there's also uh, climate modelers. And the difference between an observationalist and a modeler is kind of how they collect their data. So as it is an observationalist, they are in the field, they're doing and collecting raw data. But as a modeler, I'm using uh, data that's collected from climate models um, that has a bunch of assumptions um, and verifying that to our observationalists. So it's very key that our models actually understand what we're actually observing in our environment. And do you specialize in any aspect of the climate, like temperature or precipitation or any of that? Yeah, so my focus is in climate extremes. Um, But right now I'm really focused on marine heat waves. Um, So that's kind of an area of focus that I've been for my PhD so far. That's very relevant to uh, us British Columbians who had our massive heat wave last year and the uh, ocean got so hot, they say about a billion uh, marine invertebrates died off. So thank you for doing that research. Of course. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. Now, you mentioned that you're just starting your PhD, right? Yes. Excellent. And where are you doing that? Um, So right now I'm at Scripps Institute of Oceanography, so UCSD. And... uh, Did you study oceanography or climate science uh, all through your academic career? No, um, which is interesting. So uh, my background, at least from my undergrad, I studied uh, meteorology, but I found out very quickly that some of the problems and issues were more encompassing. So I breached into geography. So that's what I actually did my undergrad in. Uh, geography, GIS, and mathematics, um, because I wanted to kind of tie in what I see uh, and what you mentioned earlier is those societal impacts. How do these new variables and new things that are impacting us or things that are morphing over time impact humans? Wonderful. And what was it about the weather that got you so interested? Yeah. Um, so it's really funny. Um, I feel like a a lot of, uh, like meteorologists or people, um, in this area start really, really young. Um, and I feel like I was no different. Um, I was five or six years old and I saw Hurricane Katrina, um, impact, um, folks in varying ways. And I guess seeing how, uh, minorities, particularly uh, people who look like me that are uh, African-American or identify as Black, how resources were uh, held or 
um, dealt with in those scenarios. So I guess after that, I wanted to make an impact uh, and see how I could give back and hopefully fix those issues when it comes to um, resources. That's really impressive that you were already understanding the uh, racialized impact of climate change at such a young age. Um, being a, a very white person, uh, it you know d- didn't hit me until I was much, much older uh, that there was uh, a different impact for different people uh, based on their ethnicity. Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting to see. Uh, and that's why I would say I broached into geography so I can um, get that aspect of I can do the science, but then I can also understand how this impacts people. So then I can reach back to communities that look like me and then reach and get them to the table. So, And that's the cutting edge of science right now, uh, where science and, and social uh, policy cross over with each other. Oh, no. I, yeah, I was just going to I was just going to add on to your point and just say that uh, I feel like it is very, very uh, crucial that we connect uh, to people, because if, if we're not connecting to people, then what what is the purpose of science? So you're studying climate change and culture change. Now, you're still very uh, new in your career, um, but I'm curious, have you made any discoveries either in your master's degrees or even uh, in your undergrad that you'd care to share? Yeah, um, so I wouldn't uh, necessarily call them discoveries, um, but I would say I have been plugging into some very interesting and unique problems. Um, So as you mentioned a little bit earlier um, about your case um, with marine heat waves, I feel like there's literature being opened or are being explored now, uh, now that we know more, a little bit more about marine heat waves. But I guess what I'm really curious uh, and what you were kind of mentioning on was how do these mid-latitude heat waves uh, impact polar regions? And that's a very important question because if we, if our polar regions are being warmed by our mid-latitudes, then it can impact our fish populations, which I know um, off of uh, British Columbia, uh, fish is a very important uh, topic or export there. So I think that is a very like relevant and very crucial understanding that is kind of being explored, but I would like to explore it a lot more in my PhD. Absolutely. We'll have to get you up here for some salmon sometime. <laughs> What is that relationship between polar regions and the mid-latitude fisheries? Yeah, um, so kind of like how I explain it, it's kind of like a rope, right? So if you're if you have a person and they're and they have a jump rope and they start uh, roping, I would say um, if that's the proper term, uh, basically you have like a wave, and so whatever happens at top must go down. And whatever goes down must come up. So it's kind of like a system that's all interplayed together. um, And it's not separated at all. So what we've been seeing is there's been a lot more warming in certain areas. And so then that's been leveling out and going to other areas that are cooler. And those areas just happen to be in our Arctic regions, which... As we know, there's a bunch of fish populations 
or different impacts that could actually uh, be impacted down the road. Yeah, it's not a relationship that we often think about, but it's uh, those invisible relationships which are very important. Uh, is that what you're doing your PhD in? Yeah, so I I think that's what I that's my goal. Um, but I do want to be able to look at applications of how I mentioned how it affects the ecology of like the ocean, um, and also how humans are actually impacted by some of these issues, right? Because um, if we are having heat waves or heat fluxes into the Arctic, um, a lot of crucial populations of fish or shrimp or other species that we depend on depend on that freshwater export from the Arctic. And if that isn't happening or if it's happening later, um, that could look a lot differently uh, in terms of prices or different things in terms of the economy. When arguing against um, or arguing for uh, protections against climate change, it's always very useful to put a dollar figure on um, what will happen if we don't fight climate change. So I can see how your research is very valuable uh, in that sense. One thing that I've really loved about this podcast series, I have to admit, is hearing about field stories. Um, I've never gone to the field, but apparently it's this magical place where crazy things happen. Uh, Do you do a lot of field work? And if so, do you have any field stories that you'd like to share? So I don't do a lot of field work because I'm uh, more into modeling. Um, But uh, in one of my previous internships, Um, I actually was a Pathways intern um, at NOAA in Boulder, and they recently um, conducted an expedition to the Arctic, um, and it will be known as Mosaic, which is an abbreviation, Um, but it was a joint international project, um, and they were out in Greenland, and they, from what I heard, they had a bunch of equipment that they had, um, and some of it they had to uh, leave, and then they had to come back and get the equipment because of the seasons, um, and that turned out to be an ordeal in itself. Um, but other than that, um, I feel like whenever you're out in the elements, it's completely different, especially in areas like the Arctic. Um, one of the cool things that I get to do and I'm looking forward to is possibly going on an icebreaker ship and uh, analyzing how that feedback kind of relates to what I'm researching with uh, heat flux in the Arctic. It's always great to know that you can be someone who's studying the outdoors, like a climate scientist or an oceanographer. And um, even if you hate the outdoors, <laughs> you can still study it from the uh, comfort of the lab. I'm not a big camper. Uh, so I would have been turned off from climate science, uh, science because I would have thought that you have to spend all your time outside. But it's nice to know that there are options. Yeah, it's really a unique field in that aspect. So I really enjoy it. What is your favorite part of your work? I will say that my favorite part of my work is really giving back. Um, I I would say that I recognize my position uh, being here 
uh, and being one of the only African-Americans in my area, and then also um, being African-American and queer. Uh, So I feel like those unique identities helped me uh, give back to communities that I feel like were kind of left out at the table, I would say. That's uh, that's really wonderful and inspiring. Uh, you mentioned that you are uh, African-American and queer. Do you feel like that's impacted your studies in any way? Yeah. Um, so I definitely will say that it has. Um, I will say, at least in my undergrad, um, I had a very like challenging experience um, coming through and trying to figure things out. Um, but I think what I've learned along the way is that there's a lot of ally, allies that are unspoken. And I think that gave me a lot of power to say that I do like belong in this field. Um, and I think it was because of that support system really that like helped a lot. And so I'm very thankful for the support system that helped me get to scripts um, because without it, I would say um, I would be in a different position. Um, I did a, a bunch of internships, um, which I was very fortunate to have. Um, I did one, and it was called uh, SOARS, which is the Significant Opportunity in Atmospheric Research. Um, and it was centered in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, I was able to get... Uh, to do real world research problems, um, but also be surrounded by people who look like me or who looked what would be uh, considered uh, different in the science world. And it was nice to be in an environment to where I didn't have to feel like I was the only or I was uh, uh, isolated in that sense. So I think that reaffirmed me also and knowing that what I'm doing isn't just for me, but it's for communities that aren't here, that can't be seen. And now you're part of, well, you're on the other side of that support network, uh, providing support for uh, young people who are up and coming. Um, In fact, I came across you on Twitter with your coming out tweet uh, quite recently. So welcome to the community. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really empowering. And I think now that I have, I guess, a platform on Twitter, I think I try to use that to connect. So whenever I see someone who is, um, who would be a minoritized group, um, so not even an ethnic minority, but a gender or um, if they're sexual orientation, um, it could be anything. I reach out to them and let them know that, you know, they're valuable and that they should be a part of this community and trying to create a space. So what I wasn't provided in my undergrad, someone else will have in the future, so. We need more people like you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I, I did ask you about your the best part of your work, um, but I'm gonna flip that around. What's the worst or the most challenging part of your work? Yeah, um, so I will say that I've been trying to um, understand my role as a young scientist. Um, And I feel that for me, I've been trying to 
I guess, navigate what my options are after school. Um, so I'm in academia um, as it is right now, but academia is very competitive and there is not a lot of job opportunities here. Um, so even as I am just beginning right now on my PhD, I'm already kind of exploring options and seeing um, where could I be? Will it be in government? Um, will it be um, private or public? Um, really trying to figure out what, where will I have the most impact? Because there's only so many people that look like me in this area. So I think that has been the most challenging part. I wouldn't say worse, but I would say challenging. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, worse and challenging are uh, two very different terms, but I like to give people the option on which one they want to answer. And what are the career prospects for a, a climate scientist in industry or government? Yeah, so I would say um, right now, there's a lot of different areas, right? Um, so now with social media, um, there's a lot of access um, to being a climate reporter, uh, reporting on different climate aspects. Um, and people do that entirely off social media platforms. Um, another like new and emerging area that seems really interesting is companies uh, using uh, an environmental scientist or someone in uh, climate to kind of address and see how as we were talking earlier, their cost, you know, how how is this uh, product going to be cost efficient when it comes to the environment? Those are very important questions because a lot of consumers actually care about those types of questions now. So as a whole, do you feel like climate science is a really open and welcoming field or is it a little more closed off and insular? Mm, I would say climate science is definitely very open. Um I would say that there there are a lot of resources here um, to get people in the door. Um, I think the issue now is uh, two questions, right? Uh, first, getting people to that door and seeing that they belong in that door. Um, and then also, you know, once they get in the door, like how do we maintain um, that space? Um, that that I found that was welcoming and inclusive, um, because I will say you have to get to find and you have to seek those allies and those people. So that's definitely a, a challenge that a lot of academia is struggling with. Um, not getting people through the door, but um, making them feel comfortable and welcome, and that they want to stay once they've come through that door. Uh, that second step is just as important as the first one. One thing that we've all needed a bit of extra support with, um, especially once we're through the door, this past uh, the past two years has been COVID. Um, how has the pandemic affected your work, or has it? Yeah, um, it's been really interesting. Um, so I kind of came about during COVID. Um, so I finished up my undergrad um, in my living room. <laughs> and uh, like many others. And so I had prospects and I had plans, um, but they were quickly changed with uh, the pandemic. Um, so I had plans on uh, interning uh, in DC as a part of like a, a climate 
like policy type of internship. Um, but that was quickly changed um, as funding kind of uh, became more cumbersome with COVID. Um, so then there was a period where it was an unplanned gap period where I wasn't an undergrad and I wasn't uh, in grad school. Um, so fortunately, um, I had a very, very supportive um support even at Scripps before I was even accepted, which was really nice. Um, so the person that I was uh, hoping to work with here at Scripps um, hired me and allowed me to work and to improve uh, my math skills and my, uh, my critical thinking skills um, to get on a level to where I could be successful at Scripps or any program really in uh, atmospheric science, which was really, really nice um, because a lot of the math and a lot of some of the some of the science itself, I haven't touched, you know, since uh, sophomore freshman year of, of undergrad. So that was really, really nice. Um, and then moving here, um, I was a Pathways intern also as well. Um, so I luckily had some savings to help move, um, but it was very, very expensive to to make the cross track because I moved from Georgia. So I moved from Georgia to California. Um, so that took about a week. Um, but I would say I felt very supported along the way, which was really, really nice. And what is Pathways? So Pathways is a program um, through NOAA. And basically, uh, it provides a pathway, <laughs> if I can say, uh, into uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, and so the goal is, if you work in a lab or a group, that you'll eventually be hired on when they have the next hiring round within that lab or session. So. And just for us Canadians... Um... I can never figure out what's freshman and sophomore years. <laughs> Is that first and second? Yes, yes. Uh, I I forgot completely about different <laughs> country differences. Yeah, so first and second year is the equivalent of freshman and sophomore year in the States. Okay, thanks. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. You've painted a really fun picture of uh, climate science or a really interesting picture of it. Um if anyone's listening to this right now and would like to follow in your footsteps, uh, what courses or experience would you recommend for them to pursue? Yeah, um, so at least in this area, I will say I feel like the givens are like definitely a lot of math. Um, so all of the Calc 1, Calc 2, Calc 3, um, and then a differential class. Um, but then I'll also say um, also having a background or at least experience with coding. Um, I will say that's like universal. Um, in my field, I'm trying to sharpen up my coding skills because the area is going progressively to machine learning. Um, so I would say Python is just universal. Uh, language that everyone's using is very useful, and I would highly suggest getting some experience with that. Scripps is mainly using MATLAB, 
But I will say most scientists and open databases are using uh, Python. It's all Greek to me. I'm a bit of an idiot myself. So um, <laughs> coding always, always makes my head hurt. <laughs> Understandable. Speaking personally, uh, what do you consider to have been the most important course that you took in your st uh, studies? Um, in as an undergrad or a grad? Either or, or both. Okay, yeah. Um, hmm, I would say my Calc 2 course. Um, and it's for different uh, reasons than maybe some people. I will say uh, in my Calc 2 course, I had a really, really great math teacher. Um, and she really sat down with me and really worked through a lot of the problems, which was really unique in undergrad because uh, uh, we have so many topics to cover. Um, so I really enjoyed her class because she kind of made me re-address kind of my uh, beliefs on math because I always thought that I struggled with math. I would never be good at math. Um, but it really just takes one person to really change that for a person, so. And did you have another one for your graduate school work, or? Yeah, um, uh, so in grad school, um, I will say, like, I had, like, a lot of, like, great professors so far. I mean, I'm in, I'm in my second quarter, um, but I will say the one that's been the most impactful for sure has been my geophysical fluid dynamics class. Uh, I will say that, um, I think what makes teaching uh, very different is how people decide to teach. And it's very nice. Um, maybe it was more rare in undergrad, but in grad school, just having someone sit down and work through uh, integrating or deriving an equation um, is really nice because there's a lot of, there might have been gaps that I might have had uh, from undergrad, but it's nice to have someone who actually cares that you understand what's going on. It's a lot more bi-directional where you're working with the prof rather than simply absorbing what they're uh, giving out. Exactly. Because uh, what I've learned is each problem basically is a toolkit for you to understand the future problems that you're going to be encountering in research. That sounds like a t-shirt. Each t uh, problem is a toolkit. <laughs> Yeah, I maybe I'll get that when I defend my dissertation. <laughs> now, again, you're just at the beginning of your PhD and at, at the beginning of your professional career. Uh, but I want you to take a moment to look to the long term. What would you like to be your professional legacy when you retire? Or what would you like to have written on your uh, career's tombstone? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's funny that you mentioned that. I feel like I made a a Twitter post a kind of about like what my feelings are and kind of like what type of legacy I want to leave behind. Um, so I know that for me, like publishing uh, a number of papers or um, where I went to school or, you know, or how many, uh, I guess, citations that I've gotten on my papers I don't really care too much about those things. Obviously, those are important as a career goal um, in academia. But I guess I'm more interested in how many people can I like mentor and also keep in this field. I think 
that's what's very important to me because it's it's so important that we have a very very diverse uh, group of people working on scientific problems because we create better solutions. So I think that's my ultimate goal of trying to reach back and build up other people. It's really interesting you say that. Um, I've done a lot of these interviews by now, and I notice when I interview people at the beginning of their careers, uh, they do want to have a professional legacy or have their work live on. And when I interview people at uh, closer to the end of their careers, they usually tend to say exactly what you said. Um, it's the people that they want to, who they've touched uh, and their mentees who will be their legacy. So uh, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, there is, it's funny. Like, um, I feel like it becomes more uh, certain once she gets towards the end, but in academia, there's this term um, that not a lot of people know, but kind of like families. Uh, there's family trees in academia, and um, how those get passed on is really kind of who remembers you beyond your citations in the paper. So, so that was you, or um, that was me getting you to project yourself into the future. I now want you to project uh, climate science into the future. Fields are changing at a breakneck speed these days, and the field that a person enters at the beginning of their career can often be unrecognizable by the time they retire. So where do you see climate science or oceanography going, and what advice do you have for young people to anticipate some of those changes and get ahead of the curve? Yeah. Um, so our climate is, like, ever-changing, and I will say kind of some of the biggest things that I kind of reminded myself also is to not get lost in the numbers of what is happening. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest things. Uh, being in, in climate science, we're making a lot of discoveries, but there's also a lot that has to be said about um, what, what we're running into. Um, so I think that's also a note of caution for a lot of students coming up. Um, at least I've encountered that now, learning more about the research and different things that we're doing. Um, so just giving grace to yourself while you're also doing the science. Um, but as far as the field itself, um, I feel like it's going to become more um, societal, where I was mentioning a lot of societal impacts. Um, what has happened before is um, scientists would be in their echo chambers where they would be only be focused on what they're studying, what they're looking at. But I think now uh, a lot of programs, Scripps is now starting to jump on the bandwagon as well, where it's being more interdisciplinary, where they're incorporating different areas. And I kind of mentioned my background being more studying geography and people. And I think a lot of that will be relevant and useful for someone coming up is to have different experiences. Uh, so utilizing those, right? So if you come from a journalist background, using your journalism skills to talk about climate um, is really good. I mean, there's a lot of people that are needed for that. So I guess use, utilizing different areas uh, to really talk about the science. That's great advice and something I haven't really heard that, uh, before. 
Well, Anthony, um, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go? Yeah, um, I just want to say just if there's anyone out there who is like interested in this area, um, you don't have to be perfect. Um, I think a lot of what I kind of came up was is you have to be really, really great at math. You have to be really, really great at everything you do. But science, uh, most of experiments don't actually work. Um, and so it's okay if you don't have everything uh, completely perfect because science is about discovering new things about yourself and new things that you can hopefully help the planet with. So I heard a bunch of lines for t-shirts just there. You don't have to be perfect. Experiments don't <laughs> always work. Everything we should be giving to our grad students. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, by the way, I found you on Twitter. How would other people find you there? Yes. Um, so my at handle is uh, track uh, Anthony. Um, so if you want to follow me there, um, for all things diversity, science, and science policy, um, feel free. Well, Anthony, thank you for sitting down with me today to chat about your science, uh, your passion, your experiences. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor, Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast, or listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week, here on Earth.